Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome back to the Sira podcast. So today what we're going to speak about, well we'll carry on from last time. Chronologically what we did last time is we spoke about the boycott. So the, the time where the Muslims had been, had left Mecca because Abu Talib had realized things were getting so dangerous now in Mecca that he actually took his uh, nephew, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu but also by extension he he managed to persuade the whole of the clan of Banu Hashim to leave Mecca and go out into the valleys around Mecca. One of the valleys was owned by Abu Talib himself and they all stayed there but it was a very very difficult time. I mean it was three years that they spent out really in the desert away from the civilization of the of the people of Mecca of the Quraysh and it wasn't just sort of like a nice camping holiday this was a boycott so the Quraysh refused to buy or sell anything with them and they also actively encouraged people to stay away from them and not to sell them anything so there was a lot of hardship in this time so when the boycott did finally come to an end the Muslims were able to go back to Mecca but after what they had gone through um, although they were coming back to ease and comfort, those past three years of the boycott really had taken their toll. So this is, we're now in the year before the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, makes that momentous journey from Mecca to Medina, makes the, the Hijra to, uh, to Medina. But this year now that we're in, that we're talking about, is a very important year and it's actually called the year of sadness and we touched upon this at the end of last time's podcast where we said that because there were some very very difficult things that happened in this year that's why it has been called the year of sadness I mean one of the first things that happened were actually two things that happened two deaths that happened very close to each other was the death of Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, the wife of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and then also the death of Abu Talib, who was the uncle of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم. but by all extents he was almost like a father to him because the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, had been looked after him since he had been eight years old and now, you know, now he's 40 plus. So this is, this is the most important male figure in his life. This is his father figure and he dies as well. Abu Talib was the first of those two deaths. Now he was the full uncle of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu In other words, he was the full brother of the father of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And yes, we said that he was like a father figure to him, but he was also his political protection, if you like, in that society because Abu Talib was a leader of the Quraysh. He had a, an, a great standing in the status of that society and he was the Prophet Muhammad's external protection in the, the society of Mecca. And then very shortly after the death of Abu Talib, which we will go into exactly what happened, but very shortly after the death of Abu Talib, the wife of the Prophet Muhammad passed away, Khadija and she had been his wife and they'd been very happily married for 25 years. I mean, she was the first convert to Islam when he came back, having had that momentous experience 
of the first revelation coming to him, وسلم, she recognized who he was, you know, and and what what was going on. And she immediately said to, you know, comforted him and looked after him and even took him to see her cousin Waraka ibn Nofal and, you know, all that happened there. But she, in her own right, was a very wealthy businesswoman and she used all that she had to support her husband, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu You know, she when she realized that he would prefer to spend time in contemplation, she she relieved him of of the duties that he had in the business and she would do all that she could to make sure that his life was completely comfortable. So with these two deaths, with the death of Abu Talib, he loses his external protection, his political outward protection. And with the death of his beloved wife, Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, he loses his his protection and his support at home. He loses that comfort that, you know, I mean, you know how it is when you've had a hard day, maybe at work or somebody says something to you when you're out. You just think, oh, I just want to go home. I just want to go home where I can feel safe. And, you know, and, and everybody, you know, everybody kind of is beloved to you. And this was this was the role that Khadija had. She made life bearable for the Prophet Muhammad because she was so supportive of him in every way that she could. And also, obviously, she's the mother to their children and not just to their daughters, but also she's almost like a mother to Ali. May Allah be pleased with him, who as a young boy had come to live with in the household of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, because the Prophet Muhammad had realized that, you know, now he was when he was married and he was in his own house and he could see that his beloved uncle, Abu Talib, was struggling financially. Although he was one of the leaders of the community, he wasn't a rich businessman, although he had, you know, a lot of a lot of um, a, a lot of sway in society he still wasn't financially that stable. So the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, had, had taken Ali into his household to bear that financial responsibility. And so Khadija was almost like a mother to Ali. And she was also like a mother to Zayd ibn Thabit, who, who we know that the Prophet Muhammad loved so much, almost as if he was a son. So obviously the whole household is going to be absolutely grief-stricken when she passes away. But as we said, the first of the two deaths actually was Abu Talib. Now what happens is that Abu Talib, he becomes ill. And it looks pretty much like he's not going to survive this illness. So Abu Jahl and the other leaders of the Quraysh, the other opponents to Islam at the time, they go to him and they say, you know, that they speak to him and they say, oh, we've got such such respect for you. And, you know, that we just we just wish that you could get your brother's son to stop saying the things that he's saying. You know, can't you do something now at this late stage? You know, maybe you could speak to him one last time and just get him to stop. So this is a final attempt from the Quraysh, because almost they're sort of saying to him, you've got to say something before you die, get him to stop doing what he's doing. 
the Quraysh see that this is a desperate situation. Abu Talib is absolutely recognized as one of the leaders amongst them. And now it looks like he's going to die. And he's really their leverage on the Prophet Muhammad So Abu Talib calls the Prophet Muhammad to him and he tells him that, you know, the leaders have come to me, they've come together. And, you know, maybe you could you could have a little bit of give and take between them, you know, maybe sort of give a little bit. So the Prophet Muhammad says to the Quraysh, he actually says to them, just give me one word. In other words, just say one thing. And he says, a word by which you will rule over the Arabs and the Persians will be your subjects. So what is this one word? He just wants them to say the kalima. He wants them to say the shahada. And this is, I mean, absolutely, this is da'wah in its best form. Look what the Prophet Muhammad is saying to the Quraysh. He's speaking to them in a way that they will understand. Because remember, the Quraysh believe themselves to be the de facto leaders of the entire Arabian Peninsula. Among all the tribes, they feel that they have the most high position. And he's telling them that if you say what I'm telling you to say, you're going to be so powerful. You're going to rule over the Arabs and even the non-Arabs. I mean, he didn't, you know, he could have started saying, oh, if you say the, if you say the Shahada, then Allah is going to promise you Jannah. I mean, yes, all these things are true. Jannah is true. But he spoke to them. He didn't lie, but he told them what he, he knew that they would understand. But of course, they didn't want to listen to him. Abu Talib, you know, like we say, he was so dear to the Prophet Muhammad and the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, could see that Abu Talib was not going to pull through this illness. This was going to be the end of Abu Talib. And he just so hoped that he would be able to speak to his uncle in such a way that his uncle Abu Talib, his most beloved uncle, the one who really is almost a father to him, that he would accept Islam, that he would say the shahada before he passed away, so that the Prophet Muhammad could make dua for him once he had gone. But sadly, as most probably you all know, Abu Talib didn't accept Islam, even on his deathbed, and he refused to do so. But but why did he? Because he knew that what the Prophet Muhammad was saying was true. I mean, so many times he said to, to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, you carry on, you carry on doing what you're doing. Even the, the incident of the, the, the agreement that the Quraysh had come to and they had put up in the Kaaba when they said that they were going to boycott the Muslims, the Prophet Muhammad had told Abu Talib that all of that has been eaten away by, by termites, by ants. And Abu Talib believed him. He knew that the Prophet Muhammad always told the truth. But he valued the fact that he was the son of the great Abd al-Muttalib, you know, the famous chieftain, the famous warrior, that everyone respected him. And as his son, Abu Talib said, how can I leave the religion of my father, even if Islam is true? And he knew that. He knew Islam was true. But his own pride in his ancestry and also the fact that we know that in some narrations we're told that Abu Jahl was there. When the Prophet Muhammad was pleading with Abu Talib just to say the shahada, 
Abu Talib, uh, Abu Jahl, I mean, was there and he was saying to Abu Talib, how can you leave the religion of your ancestors and you are the son of Abdul Muttalib? So how can you leave the religion of your father, Abdul Muttalib? So all this was, was being said to Abu Talib. And so that pride in his ancestry made him refuse to take Shahada. So as we said, both Abu Talib and a few days later, Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, they pass away. And this, I mean, this affected the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu so much. And that's why this is called, sometimes it's called the year of sadness, the year of sorrow, or it's called the year of grief. Because that, that sadness, that intense sadness, just stayed with the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And I mean, really, like we said, these were the key people in the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and they both pass away within, you know, in some narrations, within weeks of each other. And the thing is, now Abu Talib has passed away. Now, he was the leader of the, Abu, the, the Banu Hashim. So who takes over? Well, his brother takes over as the leader, and this is Abu Lahab. Now, we've heard this name before because there's two uncles, isn't there? There was Abu Talib, the one who supported the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And then you've got the absolute opposite. You've got his other uncle. Well, he had many uncles, but one of his other uncles, Abu Lahab, who absolutely was against the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, to the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed verses about the the destruction that Abu Lahab will face. Now, he becomes the head of the Banu Hashim. And although the Prophet Muhammad is the same clan as Abu Lahab, and therefore he has to, Abu Lahab has to say that he's giving his nephew protection, everyone, in other words, all the Quraysh, they know that this protection is not even worth the words that, are, that it's spoken with. Because although the Quraysh hadn't treated the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, well while Abu Talib was alive, I mean, they, you know, they used to curse him out, they used to throw things at him, they really didn't treat him well. But now that Abu Lahab was in charge, then things got pretty bad for the Prophet Muhammad. So, seeing that the situation in Mecca was growing worse, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, decides to go outside of Mecca to see if he can get some support from outside of Mecca. And he sets out for the city, the town of Al-Ba'if. Now, this is a city that's 60 kilometers away from Mecca. And it was a famous city for the fact that it has, you know, it's a got a fertile, it's a fertile area with a temperate climate and, you know, has vineyards. And it has, it's kind of like a summer resort for the wealthy Quraysh. So the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu decides to go to Ba'if. And the city wasn't just well known for the fact that it grew grapes, and it had a really nice climate, and, you know, people went there as almost like a holiday resort. Ba'if had a, a god, a deity, you know, a statue, which they called Allah. This, this name is actually even in Qur'an. You'll find it in Qur'an, naming the gods that they used to worship. And it was one of the honoured idols at the time. Um, and the tribe who had the job of looking after that idol was the Banu Thaqif. And they lived there in Ba'if. And they saw themselves sort of in a, a rivalry with the Quraysh, 
who were the custodians of the Kaaba. So, you know, the Quraysh are looking after the Kaaba, the Banu Thaqif are looking after Alat, and both are kind of in competition with each other as to who is the more important tribe. So the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, he sets off to go to Ta'if. And actually, going to Ta'if, which is the closest main city to Mecca, was really kind of like the, the logical choice to go, um, because it had a very similar kind of status to Mecca. Obviously, the Quraysh and Mecca, they had an, the highest status in the whole of Arabia because of the Kaaba and because of the whole history around that. But Taif also was was in that competition between, you know, who could be the best city of of Arabia. And so this was kind of the logical choice. If, he, if the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, could get support there, then he had a major city backing him and he had that support. So he set off for Taif. And we said that it is 60, around 60 kilometers away from Mecca. Um, and Taif actually lies at the top of a mountain. And to get there, the the climb takes hours and hours. And now, I mean, these days, if you went there by road and you were in a in a car and you were driving, you would you would literally be going up a winding road and it just kind of goes up and up the mountain. And in the car, it would take over an hour. But imagine this is at the time of the Prophet Muhammad and he is nearly now about 50 years old. And he's climbing up to get to this city. And so it in itself is an arduous journey. And then we find out what happened there was so, so difficult. Because actually Aisha, may I be pleased with her, the wife of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, later on, you know, in years to come, she actually asked the Prophet Muhammad sallam, she said, O Messenger of Allah, was there any day that was more difficult for you than the day of the Battle of Uhud? Now, the Battle of Uhud, we haven't even talked about it yet because this was this is in the future, if you like, of our chronology of Sira, because this is in when the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, has left Mecca. He's made the Hijra to Medina. And this is the second biggest battle um, after the Battle of Badr, which was the first big battle. Then you had the Battle of Uhud a year after that. But obviously, we're jumping the gun on this. Um, and it was a very difficult time because essentially the Muslims lost that battle. So and, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, was wounded in that battle. battle. There was blood coming from his face. His teeth had been dislodged. You know, an arrow had hit him. So there was a lot of difficult things that had happened to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, at that battle of Uhud. So she said to him, O Messenger of Allah, was there any day that was more difficult for you than the day of the battle of Uhud. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, said, yes, the day of At-Ta'if was worse for me than the day of Uhud. In other words, this was the most difficult point in my life. So what happens here in Ta'if, the Prophet Muhammad, the pain of it lasted with him throughout his life. He remembered how difficult it was. So what happened was that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, he approaches the city of Ta'if and he asks to meet the chiefs of the town because obviously he's going to speak to the chiefs of the of this town to call them to Islam, to um, outline the message of truth to them in the hope that they will accept the truth 
and then be the backing that he needs. And the chiefs of the town were actually three brothers. Their father had been the ultimate chief. And then when the father died, these three brothers decided to share that chieftainship. So there was a rivalry amongst these three brothers anyway. And instead of one of them becoming the winner, they decided that, you know what, rather than have some sort of civil war here in our city, we will divide the leadership of the the Thaqif, the Bani Thaqif, the tribe of Thaqif, that the main tribe here in Ta'if, and they divided that leadership between them. So these three chieftains of the tribe, they agreed. They said, yes, okay, we'll meet you, they said to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. They didn't know why the Prophet Muhammad had come, but, you know, a man, a, a noble man from Mecca has come to their town and you know, they're interested to know what he's got to say. So when the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, presented Islam to them and told them about worshipping Allah alone and leaving the idols and that he وسلم, was the messenger of Allah and he explained to them what the religion of Islam was. What, can you guess what they did? They absolutely ridiculed him. They made fun of him. I mean, not just made fun of him, but actually in the worst possible manner. One of them said to him, you know, if you had any good in you, then the first people to recognize it would have been your own people. So what are you doing coming here to us? And another one said to him, oh, but if you really are a prophet, then who am I to speak to a prophet? And if you're not, then you're just a liar and I don't want to talk to you. And the third one said, it's so rude, said to him, oh my goodness, didn't God find anybody but you to take this message? So the three of them behaved in this really despicable manner with the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And not just that, they didn't just leave it at that, but they actually commanded their slaves and the, the young of the city, I mean, the riffraff, anybody of the city to go and make fun of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And also not just to verbally abuse him, but to physically harm him as well by throwing stones at him. I mean, literally pelting him with stones as he was leaving the city, although he had actually said to them, if you choose not to believe what I am bringing to you, if you choose not to accept the truth, please don't spread that word. You know, don't spread that amongst other people. Don't tell other people that, you know, this is what this man has come with and we think he's a liar or whatever it is. Please don't spread that. Oh, but obviously they don't even have the manners to do that. They literally got just the the children and anyone in the city to, to pelt him with stones as he's walking and leaving the city. And so the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, was literally forced to run out of the city while the people are all cursing him, making fun of him, throwing stones at him. I mean, so much so that literally blood began to pour from his body and his shoes became soaked with his own blood. And as he ran outside of the city, he himself says this to Aisha and his wife. He said, I could not 
even remember where I was until I reached a place called Qarnissa'alib, which is a place like many kilometers outside of Afaif. And basically what the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, is saying to us is that he was in such a state of shock where he, he didn't even know where he was until he reached this place. And that was at the point where the people from Abahib who had been chasing him and cursing him and, and throwing stones at him finally left and, and went back to the city of Abahib. So they literally carried on abusing him and physically harming him like that for like a few kilometers, many kilometers in fact, outside of their own city. So this is now the point where finally he can sit down because they've left now and they're not throwing stones at him anymore. And he's so tired and he's bleeding and, and he's been tortured and attacked and humiliated by the people who he hoped would be his, his backing, the people who would be his support because obviously his own people, the Quraysh, have turned their back on him. So he sits down under a tree, this is in an orchard actually, because the, like I said, there was a very fertile land and there were many farms where orchards were grown. And actually some of these areas, some of these farms were actually uh, owned by the rich chieftains of Quraysh. You know, they, a bit like people have, how people have real estate somewhere else or they have like a, a second home somewhere else. The, the Quraysh would buy up certain areas and they would have farms and it would produce grapes and you know many kind of fruits for them so the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him he sits down under this tree and he makes a dua and honestly it's one of the most beautiful duas in the whole of the seerah you can literally feel the pain in his words the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him he says oh allah to you alone i complain of my weakness and my loneliness before men. In other words, the, you've seen how men are treating me. Oh Allah, you are the most merciful of all those who have mercy. To whom will you hand me over to then? In other words, you are so merciful. Who are you going to leave me to? To a stranger who's going to treat me like this harshly? Or to a close relative of mine who has full control over me? In other words, the, my relatives back in Quraysh who think they can control me because now that Abu Talib has passed away he's got no other person around him to protect him like his uncle Abu Talib did so if he goes to Al-Tahif as he's just done and these are strangers and look how they've treated the Prophet Muhammad and okay if he goes back to Mecca who's he got now in his corner he doesn't have anyone there is literally nobody there of the seniors of the Quraysh who will support him or help him. So he says to Allah, Ya Allah, oh Allah, who are you handing me over to? In other words, I want you to take care of me directly. And the dua carries on. Ya Allah, oh Allah, if you're not angry with me, then I'm happy. You know, I don't mind. I don't care. But your mercy and your ease is easier for me to bear than what has just happened to me. Subhanallah, how beautiful are these words? Basically, 
the Prophet Muhammad is saying that if this is happening to me and it's not because you're angry with me, then I'm absolutely okay with that. But also, by the same token, I think your mercy on me would be easier for me than this kind of treatment that I'm getting from people. So human. I mean, this is the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, the best of all creation, the one who's had to put up with so much difficulty. And as we see further on, his whole life as a Prophet وسلم, is filled with one difficulty after another. And he's always got such immense, perfect faith. And yet even he says, you know, I think I would prefer to have a bit of ease <laughs> rather than this really difficult treatment that I'm getting. So, you know, when we make dua, we, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu encouraged us to ask for ease from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We're not supposed to ask for difficulty, thinking that somehow that's going to be more rewardable. Ask for ease. Even the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu asks for ease. And this dua carries on. He says, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in your countenance that has enlightened all of the darkness of this world, that your anger does not come down upon me. Oh Allah, you have the right to reproach until you are pleased, and there is no power or anything that occurs except with your will and decision. You know, and it's important that when we make a dua, that we recognize that Allah is the one in charge, because when things are difficult and things do not go the way you thought they should or you had hoped, it's very easy to start feeling helpless. But remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who has planned everything. Even those difficulties, there is good in that. Although most probably while you're going through the difficulty, it's very difficult to notice any good. But we have to understand that and we have to have that trust, just as the Prophet Muhammad is showing here that he does have that ultimate trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this dua, this beautiful dua that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, makes, he's praising Allah and he's complaining about his own state by he's saying, you know, like, I don't mind as long as you're not angry with me. But yes, I would prefer your mercy and ease rather than having to having to put up with this kind of treatment from people. And as the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, is sitting there under this tree in this orchard, there are two people who are sat far away from him that he hasn't seen. And actually, they are distant relatives of his. Who They were distant cousins of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, because this orchard, this was owned by a family from the Quraysh. And they had gone to that garden just to rest, relax, you know, like people go for a park to have a picnic. And they saw what had happened to the Prophet Muhammad and how the people of Abba'if had treated him. And, he, and they saw that he was sitting under that tree, bleeding, all alone. So, you know, they had a bit of mercy on their cousin. They, un, they weren't believers. They were not Muslim. And it's not like they were starting to feel oh, you know, this is the truth and we should support him because he's the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. They just saw that this was a distant cousin of theirs. He's a Qurayshi and this is how he's been treated by this other tribe. And how dare that other tribe 
treat one of our tribesmen like this. So it is that tribalism, that old gang style mentality kicking in. But that led them to have some mercy on the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. So they sent a tray of grapes with one of their servants to the Prophet Muhammad Now this young servant boy, whose name was Abdas, he brought the grapes to the Prophet Muhammad and this was pretty much as soon as the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, had finished making the, that dua where he's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy. And here you go, you've got this young boy bringing him grapes. So, you know, alhamdulillah, his, his response to his dua is happening straight away. So the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is given this tray of grapes. And even the fruit that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, is offered here, even that you can see some absolute beautiful wisdom in it. I mean, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do anything randomly. We have to remember that when things happen in our lives. Nothing, no, not even the people that you speak to, the places that you go, everything that happens in your life is not random. Allah knows it all. Allah has it all in his plan. So what do you, like, what's the classic thing that you take when you go and visit somebody in hospital, when you know that somebody's unwell? What is the classic fruit that's given? Yes, grapes. Because not, do, not only do they have energy, they're nourishing, they're also thirst quenching as well. So it's almost like a meal and a drink all at the same time. So anyway, when the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, he picks up the grapes to eat. And obviously, what does any Muslim say before they eat anything? And this is the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. Yes, of course. He says, Bismillah. So, I mean, even at this time where he is bleeding, where he is so tired, where he is exhausted, where he is so upset, he still doesn't forget who he is, that he is, you know, that he, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, that he is a firm believer in Allah. And he doesn't forget the etiquettes of how a person, a believer, eats. So when this young boy, Adas, when he hears the Prophet Muhammad say, Bismillah, in other words, in the name of God, he's, he's so surprised and he says, Mm, this is a phrase that the people of this country have never said. Because remember, he works as a servant to the Quraysh. And he wasn't originally from Mecca. So when he says this, when Adas says this to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, straight away understands that this boy is not from Arabia. So he says to him, where are you from? And Abdel said, I am from the town of Nineveh and I am a Christian. So a Christian, a believer in God, would say with the name of God when they are going to eat. But obviously the idol worshippers, the pagans of Mecca are not going to say something like this. And Abdel has never heard them say anything like this. So he's shocked when he hears the Prophet Muhammad, who is an Arab man, saying Bismillah. So when Adas says, I am from Nineveh, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, straight away says to him, Nineveh is the town of the Prophet Yunus, the Prophet Jonah, that was swallowed by the whale. 
Now, I mean, if Adas was shot before when he heard Bismillah, he's absolutely like his jaws on the floor. And he says, how do you know that? How do you know of Yunus? Because the Arabs didn't know any of the prophets. They weren't believers. They didn't have a scripture. They didn't have a book. They didn't know about any prophets. So Adas cannot understand how this man, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, knew of Yunus knew of the Prophet Jonah. None of the Arabs he had ever met had recognised the significance of the town that he had come from, of Nineveh. But here is this man sitting under a tree, calmly telling him that he knows the significance of the town of Nineveh. And the Prophet Muhammad says to him, Yunus is my brother. He was a prophet and I too am a prophet. And then the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, spoke with Abdas. He invited him to Islam and Abdas immediately embraced Islam. He began kissing the Prophet Muhammad on his head and on his feet and testifying, saying, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And really, if this doesn't encapsulate how beautiful the Prophet Muhammad was, Honestly, it really does to me because the poor man had been treated despicably by people he had gone hoping to have some support from them. And not only did they treat him so badly, they they emotionally tormented him, they physically hurt him. And even in that state where he feels so alone and he feels like there is no help from any people around him. Still, when this boy comes to him, he still wants the best for him. Is not thinking in any way selfishly at all. He wants the best for him. And the best for anyone is to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in truth and to be Muslim. And this is what he does. He calls him to Islam. This boy only came because of the command of his masters who said to him, go and take these grapes to that man sitting over, over there under the tree. And yet the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, he uses every opportunity to show the truth to whoever he comes in contact with. And then something else happens, and this is from the words of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. Because at this point, when Adas has gone and he's accepted Islam, he goes back to his masters. The Prophet Muhammad said, I saw a cloud hovering above me and... There was Jibreel and he came down from that cloud and with him was an angel that I had never seen before. And Jibreel the angel Gabriel, peace be upon him, said to the Prophet Muhammad Remember, the Prophet Muhammad has met Jibreel before, so he recognizes him, but he doesn't recognize the other angel that is with Jibreel So Jibreel says to the Prophet Muhammad O Muhammad your Lord has seen how your people have responded to you. Your Lord has seen what they said to you. So he sent me with the angel of the mountains to place at your disposal. And the angel says, the angel of the mountains says, O Muhammad, if you want, then command me and I will cause the two mountains of Al-Ta'if to collapse upon them. Because remember, we said Ba'if was at the top of mountains. So it's on a plateau between two mountains. And so the angel says, 
if you want, I will squash them. You know, I will literally squash these two mountains on top of the city and I will make sure that every single one of them is destroyed. Because these same rocks, the rocks that they've been using to pelt the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and cause him all that physical harm and emotional torture as well in that same way, the angel could use these same rocks, these same mountains and have them collapse on top of the people of Ta'if and kill and destroy all of them by being crushed by the two mountains. But the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who's still bleeding and the shoes are still wet with his blood, he says to the angel, no, rather I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses their children to be Muslim and to worship him alone. Even if they have rejected Islam, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses their offspring to be Muslim. I mean, this really and truly was one of the greatest and most compassionate moments of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. I mean, if somebody had behaved like that with me or with any of us, would we really want the best for them like that? Wouldn't we just say, yeah, crush them, you know, tell that angel to go and take those mountains, actually slam them down on them. But no, the Prophet Muhammad says, no, I, I'm making da'a that maybe their children will become Muslim. SubhanAllah, in every aspect of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, there's so much that just melts your heart, not, not just even in the way that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, puts up with all of that difficulty and persecution and the way he's treated by people, and yet he still just wants the best for people. But also, we see the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, the Prophet Muhammad sallam, just finishes making that dua and asking for Allah's mercy, opens his eyes and finds this boy standing there with a tray of grapes. And not just the, the grapes that were part of Allah's mercy to him, but the boy himself, this boy, Abdas. I mean, all the way from Nineveh, you know, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu speaks to him and Abdas recognizes his prophethood and accepts Islam straight away after he's just been rejected by a whole city. But yet there will always be people whose hearts will melt when they hear the truth and they will accept it wholeheartedly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through the example of the life of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, shows us that we will never have to bear complete rejection from people. We will never have to bear complete difficulty. Yes, there will be difficulty. I mean, if the Prophets, peace be upon them all, and the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, have to go through this kind of difficulty, then why should we be exempt from difficulties in our life? Life is not Jannah, life is not paradise. This is where, yes, you will have some tests, but Allah will always be there with his mercy for you. All you have to do is ask for it. So SubhanAllah, this is how this story of Ta'if ends really with the display of not just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, but to be able to see and know for a fact that the Prophet Muhammad really was a mercy to the whole of mankind. Whoever he came in contact with, he just behaved so impeccably with them. And SubhanAllah, this is why he is the embodiment of the perfect role model for anyone that wants to be the best human being that they can be. 
So subhanAllah, we will leave it there for now. Inshallah, I hope to see you all again next time. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. So until next time, assalamu alaikum.